0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining us this week.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Enterprise Sales Development. I'm your host, Eric Quanstrom, the CMO at Science. Today's interview is with Paul Butterfield the CEO of the Revenue Flywheel Group. But that name belies an enormous amount of experience that Paul brings to the table in and around the field of sales enablement. In fact, after leaving Intuit over a decade ago, Paul went to work for NICE and became their head of global sales enablement. Also was a sales enablement leader at General Electric. Vonage in structure, and then (laughs) took it like to a consulting level, leading the revenue flywheel group. And so we get into all of that and we get into a lot of really interesting topics related to this field of sales enablement, especially at the top of the funnel for sales development departments, groups, personnel, and how to successfully enable those teams perspectives that Paul has, has brings forward and are really hard won insights. So I can't wait to get to this interview because I think you're going to get a, as much out of it as I did. I, I get super excited too about the customer journey enablement discussion that, that we have. So without further ado, here's Paul.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll get all this gold and I keep, be any record I keep having there. this
1: weird nightmare that I'm going to forget to hit record one of these days and be
0: like, an early hour. on, I did that once. And that was such a walk of shame. Fortunately, the guest was also someone I'd known for a long time. So it could have been worse because most of my guests I meet shortly before we do the episode. So yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's, I guess it's the most human moment you can have. So yeah, that's right. We all make mistakes. Yep. All right. And we're back with the CEO of the Revenue Flywheel Group, Paul Butterfield. Paul, pleasure to have you on the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast.
0: Thanks, Eric. I've been looking forward to this.
1: Yeah, you betcha. And one of the things that I think we absolutely fundamentally should start with is something we were just talking about offline How you even got started in the field of sales enablement, which arguably you're now at the top of, or one of those one percenters that knows more about sales enablement than most people that walk this planet. Tell us about how you stumbled into it.
0: Stumbled is probably a really good word. I never saw it coming. My career was built on sales and that's just all I ever foresaw myself doing. Tech sales, I started with HP and moved up, ended up leading a team there have led led teams for Microsoft into it. So it was very much in the software side once I left HP. And I happened to be working for a SaaS company called InContact in 2012. I'd been there for a little while. I was running the the mid-market, North American mid-market team. And we had a new EVP of sales join in the summer of 2012. So here we are in September, third month, third quarter, I'm going in for my Friday one-on-one. Bill Robinson was the EVP's name. So I'm going in with my meeting with Bill. And you know what's on my mind, right? I'm in there getting ready to defend and, right, and just go through all the forecasting stuff, right? He didn't want to talk about any of that. He went over to his whiteboard and he wrote two words. He wrote sales enablement. I had nodded and smiled. I had no idea what he talked about. I said In all my years in sales, I'd never heard that term. So I had to Google it later. But I listened and he had heard of it and he had researched it. And as a new EVP with a mandate from the board to take us from, I think we were like 225 at the time. And he was supposed to get us to 500 within a three to five year span. He didn't feel he could do that without sales enablement because no one in our company got professional development. Everybody, when they hired sat in HR or sat in a room with HR for two and a half days, right? And then, and so what he had noticed is as a sales leader, I had a number to hit. So if HR, if there wasn't any L&D, guess what? I got to go figure out how to develop my crew. And for what it's worth, I also feel that as leaders, we have a moral obligation to do that for those that report to us to whatever degree we can to yeah. set them up for success. Just makes sense. But number one, I had a number to hit. And so his challenge to me was, Here's some examples of things I've seen you do with your team. And I can share some of those if if you're interested. But he said, I want you to go home this weekend and think about how would you scale that to cover my entire organization and come back Monday with your answer. And if it's yes, wink, he, he clearly had made up his mind. He said, if it's yes, I'd like a very high level 30, 60, 90 approach that you would take. Here we are what 12 or 13 years later 12 years later and it turns out that i really enjoyed it it turns out that i was pretty good at it but what a laboratory he handed me in that moment yeah because he did two things that were critical first when he communicated it out to the rest of the organization he he made, he, he used the phrase or he said something very close to all right never mind the enablement in his title now he is still a sales vp in this organization And you need to listen to what he says. Right. So he gave me that executive sponsorship Mm -hmm. and I was still part of every sales motion. So I was not disconnected from what was going on. I was still on the big forecast calls, all those things that you would expect. I was in his staff meetings and that was critical. So I got to sit down with my peers and I remember to take, we had offices back then, remember offices? Yep. And uh, so we we're at my office and had a great big whiteboard. And we just sat there and brainstormed, said, look, we can make this enablement thing, whatever we think the teams need. And we just threw down every idea that any of us had. And I used that to go and build that that first program. Yeah. So it was it was a great opportunity. I didn't know what I was doing in a lot of ways. I stumbled on some things that actually turned out to be things I'm still doing today. I also face faceplanted a couple of times, but I still think back, for example, the manual, right? And I probably should capitalize that the manual that I created for onboarding that was just like, here you go,
1: Oomph,
0: right on the desk. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. Nobody looked at that thing once they got out of onboarding, but I thought it was cool.
1: Maybe just to even take it back a step further or yeah. fast forward back to the future, so to speak, how mm-hmm. do you define sales enablement?
0: When I look at it at a high level, I'm going to give you a two-part answer. Enablement is providing the sales teams with the tools, the methodology, the assets, all those things, but with the ultimate goal of Setting them up so that they can differentiate through the customer sales experience they're offering as opposed to relying on differentiating through products, which is really risky or, God forbid, discounting, which just is cringeworthy, right? It happens. But that that at the highest level, that's what we're trying to do, right? Set them up to go have those business conversations. Set them up to have the business acumen to, to have those business conversations. And this starts with the SDR team. They are the tip of the spear. Yeah. And I think we're getting more into that in a few minutes. Now, the other thing that I would like to frame for the rest of our conversation is: let's not sales enablement. To me, in my experience, is too limiting mm-hmm. because think what I think about what I just said—that we're, we're enabling them to offer an exceptional customer experience and differentiate. Guess what? Sales aren't the only people that they talk to. Right? Sales, right? Top of the funnel, they're only hearing from marketing, product exactly. marketing directly or indirectly is product marketing talking about features is problem marketing, or excuse me, product problem marketing. There's a, there's a new job. Marketing Uh, might be a problem. I don't know. Yeah. Or is product (laughs) marketing creating assets, the web pages, one pages, all of that talk about business problems that Mm -hmm. we know our customers are solving and right. Use cases, but specifically, and then it all goes through to the post-sales experience. Sales team offers a great experience, but guess what? If the handoff to PF, professional services, is terrible, they're going to forget the sales experience pretty quick. Yeah. And by the time they get through renewals a couple of years later, right? So that's that's why I started using the phrase customer journey enablement, I don't know, sometime in the last few years, because, I, because for me, it's that point-to-point enablement that really makes the customer experience different.
1: Yeah. And I think that the concept of end to end is probably a very popular one with customers or buyers themselves who Mm -hmm. are looking for not just a a glorious sales process where where they get listened to and asked really good questions, Mm -hmm. but a company, a partner that Mm -hmm. ultimately they choose to do business with. Yeah, And it's reflected throughout the organization.
0: Yes. Yeah. Again, this, that was honed over time. Just based on experiences, as I learned and watched how we were actually with customers at that first company where I did enablement mm-hmm. and then just refined it since. Technology's um, made it a lot easier to do some of that now too, that we didn't have then. But.
1: but technology is also probably multiplying at a rate that I think most sales leaders, I definitely know most marketing leaders feel is <laughs> as fast as it's ever been. And as much as we've ever faced just to get I'd agree. basic jobs done.
0: Yeah, I no, I would agree with that. The technology that a couple of things that that I think of specifically when I say it, first of all, is the ability to correlate enablement activities with revenue yeah. outcome. Okay, be clear. Only sellers are generating the revenue. Only CSMs in some places I've worked are generating the revenue. However, if an enablement program cannot show consistent and reasonable correlation back. Then they're doing it wrong. And that and I'll freely admit my bias. Again, grew up in sales. How many times did we sit in excuse me, shit trainings? Yeah, just frustrated. Yeah. And so to me, that's the only reason enabling exists is to impact it. And that has gotten easier to measure because of some specific types of technology that have come along, which is helpful but it's always been critical. So,
1: Do you think that the number one correlation KPI, if you will, or measurement should
0: be sales win rates? I think that, I don't think, I know. That depends on who is your executive sponsor. Mm. So one of the, one of the fact, it's funny, I was just in Birmingham, UK last week at a conference and we were doing some workshopping around enablement KPIs. And I asked the room, how many of you have been in sales leadership? And probably half at least raised their hands. I said, start with sales math, right? Your leading indicators for if a sales team is going to be effective are not that different from what you looked at as a sales leader to see, are they building pipe? Are they doing those things? Hmm. Lagging indicators are what you just said. So I'll start with that. But the other thing that I have found critical is what are the top three outcomes that your CRO is being measured by the board on yeah, because otherwise we're doing it backwards. Just like we tell our salespeople, you need to be thinking about the customer's world and not talking about our world as enablement leaders. We need to make sure we're not doing the same thing. Why? Because if you start coming with a bunch of metrics and things like that, and you haven't, you don't have the, I'm a big Steve Covey, Stephen Covey, fan uh, disciple. I had the chance to actually work for him while I was in college which was an amazing experience. Wow. And, and it says that whole start with the end in mind. If you don't know what the CRO was on the hook for and, and the top three things, then how do you go? So you start with that. Now, in my experience, win rates was a lagging indicator that we looked at and tried to understand what was going on. How do we use that to influence what we're enabling and, and training on? But it's more often things like what are the overall attainment level on the team? I did some work with a client this summer with an absolutely hollow sales organization. We can talk about that if you want, because they happen to have a few superstars. It is I've worked now at two companies, Advantage and at or Excuse me, Instructure. That we were in big acqu- constant acquisition mode. Yeah, and the challenge was taking a core of sellers who were very comfortable selling the old product, the original mm-hmm. product and getting them comfortable selling these acquisitions. It's going from a single sale to a platform sale. It's a tough thing to do. Yeah. And so in those two companies, the CRO also wanted us looking at what are the percentage of deals with multiple products attached. So it, it really depends on, on what they care about because there's so much you can measure. One of my favorites is discount rates because that is just such, that's just throwing money out the window. But that's that's not strategic, right? That That's- But that's something that we want to look at down here. So that's where I start. I, I use a concept called strategy mapping. I did not come up with it. Kaplan and Norton, Harvard Business Press. I don't remember the year, late 90s. It was written to, their methodology was written to solve the problem that we've all seen where a grand strategy gets rolled out, lots of confetti, lots of excitement. And six months later, nobody could tell you what it was. And if they can, nobody knows if you've made any progress towards it. Their methodology is really good at solving for that. But part of that methodology requires starting with no more than three financial outcomes that the strategy needs to drive. So that's where we start.
1: Yeah. And naming the numbers, that's so key to running and managing Mm -hmm. (laughs) To
0: You can't manage what you don't measure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big Shark Tank fan. Don't travel as much as I did pre-COVID. But I used to travel a lot and Shark Tank was my, well, I'm working in my hotel room at night. I always had it on. And you just reminded me though, with, with Kevin on there, and that's the thing he's always hammering on people always. for. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. You have no idea what's going on. I'm yeah. saying it a lot nicer than he usually does, but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the verge of either writing checks or withholding. <laughs> any yeah, of that. exactly. Yeah.
1: So let's move up to the top of the funnel and focus a little bit okay. on enabling SDR teams, and what Mm -hmm. are some of the key things that that you advise companies on, especially at the Revenue Flywheel Group, how they should be thinking about Mm -hmm. their top of the funnel, inbound, outbound, anything attached to sales development. And I would imagine too, that since we're talking about key KPIs, pipeline coverage might be up there at the very top of the list of things that you would want to enable for uh, and think about. Yeah. I I throw this over the fence to you to get this ball
0: rolling. I, a few things just jumped to my mind. First, if I'm working with a client, my advice to them or as part of the analysis, I typically will almost always do a RevOrg analysis. And and that's what I strongly recommend. I have people, clients, potential clients come to me and say, oh, we want you to come teach us sales methodology That, that, okay, but I don't know that's what they really need. And yeah. then, so my advice to them is always, let's let's step back. Here's what I would like to do. We can we can go from there. Let's and
1: before we, <laughs> yeah, exactly,
0: yeah. What a concept. Prescribe. And one of the things that I usually come back as recommendation is let's rethink how your SDRs are being enabled because let's rethink what you're asking your SDRs to do. Yeah. And the typical, and I'm I know this is very SaaS focused, but that's where a lot of my experience is that they're trying to get someone on the phone to set an appointment for a demo. So many things wrong with that in my experience. And the primary being what we were just talking about. If you just start showing someone a demo with maybe 10 minutes of discovery, sometimes not even that, that 10 minutes might be a bunch of slides. Oh, look at us, slides. And you have no idea what to show them. And so if we're honest with ourselves, you're really just watching to see if their eyes light up on some stuff that, that you can hang your, your deal on. Well, I would tell you, if you don't have an identified measurable business problem, you, you don't have a deal. Um, and so let's go back to your SDR question. Are we asking our SDRs to do that? We should rethink that, which is going to be your whole sales motion. But And then are we equipping our SDRs, again, with some business acumen? Most, not all, but my experience, most SDRs, it's their first or second job out of school. There's only so much that you can enable them to get on the phone and talk to someone who's been in their industry for 22 years. <laughs> but in my experience, working again with product marketing, enablement, working together, what you can do is provide them context about problems that, that any company knows what problems its customers are typically solving for, Hopefully, at this point, any company of size has well-developed ICPs that are part of understanding that, and let's find ways to get that over to our SDRs in a digestible format, and at the level, I and I hope your listeners won't take this wrong, I believe in giving people a little more club, okay, it's golf analogy, but a little more club than they actually need when they're walking, yeah. but- at the same time, I found that if you give SDRs too much, then they start getting into AE territory. Yeah, and their ambition is great, but it doesn't. It usually breaks the model when they do that. But we, mm-hmm. so we want them to be able to get on the phone, talk to their ICPs intelligently, and that can be as simple as giving them. I'm talking to say one of your ICPs is a head of marketing. And I'm getting on there, and I was something like Eric. I, I talked to a lot of heads of marketing about our product. Here, here are here are two or three things that I hear from them very often. Yeah, And just to prime the pump, try to get it going. And that and then give them a little bit to back that up. Maybe just a couple of key questions to ask so that now. So so now when it goes well, what the AE is walking into is a meeting with someone that we know at least one concern that they have. And there's usually some qualification that companies want in addition to that before they have an AE spend time. That is the sort of thing where I'm talking about a a better and a different customer experience. Because now the AE is freed up to come in and have a business gap analysis type of conversation.
1: What you're really talking about is the true dictionary definition of a sales cycle, right? Like at the start mm-hmm. of any cycle, you don't want to be too much, too soon, too fast. <laughs> it's stepping on the toes of the AE, if you will. And, and I've seen that that story play itself out in SDR land all the time where you know they want to get married on the first date and it usually doesn't end well.
0: Yeah, no, I I never tried that strategy, but I can't imagine that it would. Here's another aspect of it that benefits SDRs. And that is enabling them, you're doing this for the organization, but it's really benefits SDRs with defined criteria on what takes an opportunity from SQL, excuse me, MQL, marketing qualified lead to SQL. Because again, my experience, you get rock fights that break out. Because AEs are, the SDR feels the AE just wants to cherry pick. Um, The AE feels like the SDR is just anybody that fogs a mirror setting meetings. And when we have those well-defined criteria, it, the SDR can go just focus on doing their job, right? They don't feel like they're in a position of having to justify whether it's an opportunity or not. When everybody gets off the first call, discovery call, you either check the boxes or you didn't check the boxes. I don't recommend BANT. We can, it's a whole nother topic. I'm very anti-bant for a number of reasons, but nonetheless, there needs to be the criteria. Likely, should be, did we identify at least one business challenge, measurable business challenge that we can help them resolve? Yeah, yeah. SDRs, and it, it is is um, that is the hardest job in sales. In oh, without experience. a doubt. I've never been an SDR. When, when I got started in sales, my my SDR was a and b account online that I could, I could log in, Full right? cycle. Yeah, full cycle. But I have worked with teams of SDRs for for years, and it is the hardest job in sales. You, you've got to be able to come to work every day and be willing to get punched in the face eight out of every 10. I've also been very impressed. If you'd asked me prior to 2020, can SDRs work remotely? Mm. I would have argued against it pretty because to me, it's not that it's not whether or not they have the responsibility to work remote. It's that environment they're in. I would have thought that if you can't pivot your chair and talk to your bullpen, right, and learn from each other or just blow off steam, yeah, that, that you'd feel very isolated. I'm happy to say that in the most part, I'm wrong. At Instructure, our SDRs crushed it. They adapted very quickly. Now, we had to enable them in some different ways since they were stuck at home. But I, but as a profession, it bothers me when I see people say things like just an SDR. It, it's a tough job and people that become good at it are building skills that could take them a lot of places.
1: For sure. I often <laughs> say in the halls of science that the SDR job is both impossible mm-hmm. and a lot of SDRs forget all of their unfair advantages. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. And it's in the example you used earlier, right? Like, by definition, an SDR has very rarely <laughs> in point zero 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 one percent of the yep. cases done the job of the people they're calling into. So they don't understand it. They don't get the personas, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it impossible. However, good SDRs, especially when you're leveraging the phone channel, are talking to more CMOs than say, mm-hmm. I would as peers. Every day, week, month, or year. Interesting. Makes sense though. Yeah. Because that's the nature of the beast, right? Like right. your ICP isn't everybody <laughs> who right. fogs a mirror. Right. Your ICP is tightly defined and you're, and I'm really focused here on, on outbound for the moment, mm-hmm. but ultimately the SDR that starts to understand the personas that they're reaching out to. And I think this plays very well into everything you're setting up as a structure for sales enablement. Ultimately that's their unfair advantage. They can be information brokers, so to speak, or currency of because if you said to me, Hey, Eric, as a CML, I've been talking to your peers in your industry. Yeah. People just like you. Yeah. All the time. Want to know what they say?
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wanna know what they're struggling with? Yeah. No, I I agree, but I have never walked into an organization where I was asked to come and build enablement where the SDRs are being set up that way. Yeah. Never. I know that there are companies out there doing it, but you're right. And and I love that approach too, because what you're subtly saying to the prospect is this isn't my first rodeo either. Yes, right? I'm not saying I know everything, even close to what you know, but as you just said, I spend a lot of time talking to your peers. And so yeah. I do have some insights into what they're concerned about or any of those things that you are concerned about. Right. It, it, it could be something else. If, really the problem space, more yeah. largely. I was giving a
1: very in the weeds example of, of successful advanced SDRs that I've observed that, that use information arbitrage to their best advantage. Because fear of missing out is a thing and it causes immediate and, and oftentimes yeah. useful action when you can employ those strategies.
0: I get a lot of outreach, as I'm sure you do, oh, yeah. on LinkedIn and by email. And there's a lot of work to be done. These poor folks, I don't know who's training them. I don't know where, I hate to say it, but 90% of it is still just cringy, Cringy. the outreaches that I get. And so again, not disrespect for the SDR as a profession or the people doing the outreach, because I'm pretty sure they're doing what they've been taught and asked Mm -hmm. to go do. Yeah, especially if they're new to the career. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You're not going to lean
1: on that person for strategy and, and advice, are you?
0: Yeah, yeah. We've all gotten the emails with the subject lines. Did you get eaten by a crocodile or something similarly silly? Can I share an example, though, of one of the coolest outreaches that of I saw course. that I actually responded to? So yeah. this is while I was still VP over at Instructure. um, And this person, like everybody's been, tra- oh, go see what school they went to or go see, look for the hook. And I think that's, I think that is inauthentic in most cases, unless you truly have a connection. Sure. This guy, however, nailed it. I don't even remember what company he was with, but he sent me a note. He said, all right. He saw what school I went to, Brigham Young, BYU. And he said, all right, the, your Cougars are playing, turns out, his alma mater. I don't remember where he went to school. On such and such a date. So I want I suggest a bet. If your team wins, I'm going to send you a $100 Amazon gift card, something like that. If my team wins, you'll take a meeting. Hmm. I loved it. Right. Okay. I, I, and now, how did he know I was a football fan? There's some people that might have been, ooh, sports, but not me. And so I actually did, and his team won. Dang it. So I, I had to take the meeting. But in all seriousness, it was one of the more creative ways that I saw somebody. And I, again, most of what I would get like that just went straight to the trash bin. Yeah. So, there are creative ways to do it. And like you said, great SDRs will find will, will find that. But how do we bottle that? Because we have B players and C players who are hungry and coachable and want to become A players. And how do we, that's Enablement's job. With SDR leadership is to figure out how to do that. How do we help them do better outreach? How do we help them use the technology that we bought them effectively? I, I've heard this expression. I don't know who said it originally. A fool with a tool is still a fool. Yeah, And in my observation, there's a lot of that. Oh, here's outreach, right? And and all you've done now is enabled people to do bad bad things from the experience standpoint faster at a higher volume. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity there for enablement teams to, it's not just teaching them how to use the tech, it's teaching them content. And it's either providing the content or teaching them how to create effective content in that outreach, which is an extension of the phone stuff we were talking about.
1: What type of content do you see winning and achievable like creation? Cause I, I, on the marketing side, I have obviously my own bias and thoughts on content creation, yeah. Uh, yeah. but I'm really curious to get your thoughts on, especially enabling with a sales development team.
0: Templates can be really useful for this. We never want people to sound scripted or come across as scripted. And so one of the ways that I look at it is like Legos. So we, and again, it depends on the skill level of the team and the maturity model of the SDR team. So you could start with giving them a templated sequence. We want them to follow a certain sequence because you want a consistent sales. You can't measure if everybody's doing their own thing. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But I'm not thinking just the the, the tech. I'm thinking just in general, give them some of the ICP knowledge, the Acme that we talked about. My experience, the best hook of all are great success stories. Yeah. And documenting those success stories. And the gap that I've seen in a lot of success stories is they don't talk about the measurable results. They're pretty good at saying, hey, Acme Corp bought us because they're trying to solve these problems. This is what we implement, blah, blah, blah. But where's the follow-up, right? and where is the i think part of the reason that we don't see those in success stories is companies are not capturing success metrics in their sales process and handing those success metrics over to cs yeah. so that we're tracking those things but that's a that's a gap that in my experience whether you're an SDR or frankly an AE those stories are better hooks than almost anything else we've talked about Yeah. Um, and more industry specific. If you're a company that's been around for a while, you should be able to do some again for each of your ICPs, you should be able to come up with some different industry specific stories to share. Um that may sound really obvious to people. I'm I'm just saying I don't see it as something that's being provided to the SDRs to use that's powerful.
1: I would agree with you. I don't see it on the buy side being employed and used at the Mm -hmm. top of the funnel very often. The other Mm -hmm. gap that I tend to see and this goes deep into the the weeds a little bit of the production of either a template or an effective, any effective sequences, especially if you're leveraging success stories, not only are measurable results missing, I find that, and marketing may be guilty of this. If they're the ones producing this, I find that what was the company who purchased you thinking and why were they thinking it Mm -hmm. at the time, especially the roles or the personas that were thinking or facing these particular challenges and then what helped them come to the conclusion that yes we wanted to use you vendor that i represent that i'm now reaching Mm -hmm. out to a lookalike with potentially the same challenges so that all of a sudden it pattern matches into oh this is something that's worth my time that i want to lean in and explore and figure out if this is if i could solve problems in the exact same
0: way right no absolutely agree And the good news is, based on my comments a couple of minutes ago, from what I think you and I are both seeing, the opportunity to differentiate by doing that is is high. It's a huge opportunity because it's not being done that way. And you will stand out uh, just just by having a fresh uh, way of looking at things through their eyes, potentially. So,
1: I'm really curious to get your thoughts, again, as someone who's been a high-level practitioner of enablement for over a decade plus and now advising clients, where do you come in to the the discussion on just the the radical change that we've seen over the last year? And it's been exactly a year now. We're taping this in the end of November in 2023, and we've now had a year of what I feel is a tipping point with generative AI. Mm -hmm. How do you think that that companies going forward should be leveraging Gen AI and the tool set that is now exposed and becoming part of most SaaS products, becoming most (laughs) Available, if you will, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. sales teams everywhere. How should
0: we be thinking about this? I'm going to start with the enablement side uh, from the standpoint that that's the, the focus of our conversation so far. There are some amazing developments. In fact, my meeting right before this was with a one of the sales enablement platforms and them talking about showing. In, in, and is under NDA, I can't share, but it was mind blowing the enablement capabilities, especially that are coming online in Q1 from them, especially for those that are dealing with global communities where English may not be the first language. Mm. And the ability to intelligently make those materials available intelligently and from enablement team standpoint, super easy. I've also seen the way that the companies should be looking at using AI in their coaching. Role-playing, okay, it's great, but it doesn't scale. Uh, People don't have the time to do it. Role-playing, nobody likes it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't feel like a safe zone, no matter what you might say in the beginning. But AI isn't judgy. Yeah, it's not. It, it's not, right? I, I can go and I can interact with an AI coach and make as many mistakes or whatever and get intelligent feedback. And and there are a number of ways that, that I'm seeing that you can incorporate AI into your coaching, but companies really should be looking at that. The other thing when I think of it is from some of the, I want to be careful here because I'm not, A fan of having chat gpt generate letters or content things for me Mm -hmm. what i do however find it really helps me with is i do get writer's block sometimes i think we all do it's great at busting through that i do find that it and and so i think that if we're teaching sales teams to use it to improve the quality of their emails it, it might be nothing else than just hey Tell me why this email sucks and and, and drop it in there. And the last one, and to me, this is one that just blows my mind, is for years. Oh, you're selling to a public company. Go look up their 10K. Yes. Great. But unless that sales rep or SDR happened to go to business school, they probably don't know how to go read a 10K. You don't need to do that now. Drop that 10K into chat GPT and give it the prompts Of the things that you want to know from that and boom there it is and i don't think i don't think sales teams have figured that out yet no and to me that's another really big one
1: yeah or other publicly available you know sources of information that you can juxtapose you're right yeah
0: any public source
1: yeah it's almost like using a, a mini llm to do the job at a much higher level essentially hey here's our persona here's everything we know about the challenges these guys are facing Here's Mm -hmm. some news in the space and industry trends. Mm -hmm. Put this all together and help me analyze. Yeah. It's, and I
0: think more and more are doing that. Yeah. But I think that it's more salespeople or teams that have figured it out. I don't know if it's being supported at the sales org level or taught because I heard a really great description of current state of AI that I, I really liked at least. And they said, imagine that you have a college intern who is top of their class, extremely well-read, but naive when it comes to real-world business experience. Mm-hmm. That is the current state of it. And right. I thought that, that's actually, to me, that made a lot of sense, right? Because they don't have really, the context. Really they don't fast. have the, yeah, but works really <laughs> fast. And so think of in that context, right? So you have this very intelligent, highly educated assistant, that, but you still need to bring that context and direct what you want them to go do. Yeah, I couldn't agree so there. much time saved.
1: But it's interesting. I, I think that the pursuit of what maybe the Challenger guys would refer to as a commercial insight mm-hmm. and, and using the scaffolding or the mental prosthetic that generative AI tools can provide mm-hmm. to get to those types of insights is, I think, a very noble use of the technology. Yeah,
0: I would agree. It's public domain and, and just so much more efficient. Yeah, No more crawling websites and that type of thing. I would recommend to anybody though, based on my comment, a minute, or definition I, I shared a minute ago, that before you use what the analysis, go fact check it. If there okay. are numbers or figures in there, go fact check it. There was a, a story, I guess it's been a little while now, but an attorney, yeah. that, that, you know the one I'm talking about, right? Yes, they went you. and got a bunch of case citations and stuff from AI and then ended up looking really stupid. Yeah. yeah. so. Fact check it before you share it with a customer, but that's still going to save you a lot of time. Hallucinations are a thing. <laughs> Hallucinations. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: Oh yeah. my goodness. Wow. This this has been such a fun discussion, Paul. I really appreciate your insights and grounding in such fundamental principles and, and the way that you attack through thinking in the enablement space is really noteworthy.
0: It's It's very impressive. Oh, thank you. Or I listeners- like it if you can't tell. So
1: yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> Clearly the passion comes through. For our listeners that might want to carry on that conversation with you or discover mm-hmm. your company, your consulting, where should they go?
0: I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. I'm active on there and great. You can either, there's a book of appointment button at the top of my LinkedIn page or just reach out on message the messenger function. But they can also go to revenueflywheelgroup.com and see some of the areas that that we're helping customers and just book some time there. But I'm fine either way. That's awesome. Once again, thanks for uh, a great discussion. Really appreciate it. I, I had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me.